Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. The Lord spoke that through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 41, verse 10. It's an amazing promise that I cling to and that propels me in my life. And it is the focus of this podcast, the Gaining Strength podcast. Welcome to our podcast today. And we pray that you will find strength in the midst of what you hear this day. God bless you. tend to share from stuff I'm experiencing or stuff I'm going through or stuff I feel like the Lord is, is showing me right now. And um, what I'm going to share tonight has to do with something that Pastor Carl said last week um, in some of his comments. And I was convicted by something that you said about Joe Biden last week. And I don't, if you weren't here, I'll, he said something to the effect of... Um, he didn't like Joe Biden, but if Joe Biden walked in the room, he would stand. And he would give him the respect that comes with the office that he holds. And in my heart, at the moment he said that, I was thinking, my body would stand, but my heart wouldn't. And my reaction troubled me, because, you know, we're, we're supposed to watch over our hearts. We're supposed to steward over our own hearts, and, and be careful what we allow in and, and what we don't allow in. And so what he said in my response came back to me a time or two through the week, but in my worship time, I, I felt conviction. And, and it's like, let me try to describe a story here. Some years back, I was really oppressed by something. I don't even remember what it was. But I was trying to enter into the Lord's presence with the stuff I was carrying. And sometimes it's hard to enter into the presence of the Lord when you're carrying stuff. Some of you know that when you're angry, it's hard to pray when you're angry. It's hard to pray sometimes with what you're going through. And I've shared this with you before that sometimes the Lord shows me pictures of things to help me understand and the picture I got was of me trying to get into the temple, but the, the opening to get into the temple was, was like about that high and about that wide. And I was trying to crawl in with a backpack loaded full of stuff on my back, and, and I couldn't get in. And I heard the Lord say, you can't bring that stuff in here. And I had to take my backpack off and just me, just me come in. And sometimes there's stuff we have to shed, we have to take off, we have to, you know, sometimes we have to empty our heart out <laughs> just to be able to come into his presence. And that's kind of what it was like in my worship time yesterday morning. And I, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm emptying out that anger, I'm emptying out the bitterness um, you know, there's a lot of things that we can be angry about. I mean, a lot of things today, you know. There's circumstances in our lives we can be angry about. There's things that happen 
you know, just in the day-to-day brushing up against other people that happen, that, that can bother us one way or the other. There's uh, vaccines, no vaccines. There's was there fraud in the election? Was there not fraud in the election? Is he really a legitimate president? Is he not? You know, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff for us to get stirred up about. But how we respond to those things and what we hold in our heart is very important to Jesus. Very important to us. And, and so I asked the Lord, where's this coming from, <laughs> you know, that's in my heart? Why, why do I feel bitter towards this man that I should honor because of the position he holds? And simply because God will work through a lot of things, but he, he won't work through bitterness he won't. It'll, it'll bind you up. It'll hold you back. It'll hold you down. It'll poison you. And it wasn't that I necessarily had a whole lot of bitterness. I didn't even realize it was there until he made the comment and my reaction, my instant reaction. That's what happens. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, my heart was speaking to my brain. Thank God it didn't come out of my mouth until I could confess it to the Lord. So I want to talk a little bit about anger and a little bit about bitterness tonight. And, and as I shared, this is as much for me as it is for anybody else. And I just pray that you can be uh, helped by it or blessed by it somehow. Uh, let's take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 talks about Cain and Abel. And when I asked the Lord yesterday morning, where's this all coming from? How did bitterness get there? This story just, I mean, Cain popped into my head immediately. The Lord took me through several scriptures in my, in my prayer time yesterday and today. So we're looking at Genesis 4, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground, just like Adam. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Only four people on the planet at that point in Earth's history, and murder was the result of Cain's anger. Anger that he really didn't even have a reason to be angry for. I'm assuming that perhaps he was jealous from the fact that 
God was pleased with one and, and not him. And it doesn't, doesn't say that God was displeased with Cain's offering, but, but this, this phrase up here, where it says the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, the original languages in Hebrew, when they talk about that, it, it, it shows that God gazed at Abel's offering with amazement. That's, what, that's really what it's talking about. It's God was looking at Abel's offering, and he was amazed by it, but he didn't do that with Cain's. And so, I mean, maybe, I mean, we can only maybe guess here that God was looking at amazement at Abel's offering because he offered the first fruits, the firstlings of his, of his you know, and, and his offering was a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And so God maybe was looking at that and thinking, wow, this is a, a preliminary to what I'm going to require of my people one day. Or, or maybe God had somehow made it known that that's what his expectation was. I, I don't know. Maybe our other Bible scholars know. But um, all it was is God was gazing in amazement at Abel's offering, but he didn't show that same amazement towards the other offering, towards Cain's. And... So Cain became very angry, and it's, and, and it's that kind of anger where it just suddenly flares up like a blaze of fire, and it's an intense passion, and, and, and it's like Cain was having a temper tantrum on the inside. We don't, we don't know if he showed his anger on the outside, but it says his countenance fell, meaning the look on his face showed that he was crestfallen, that he was not, God didn't look at his offering like he did his brother's. But the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? And here's a key. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? If you do well. That might be a clue right there that maybe Cain didn't do all that God expected. Maybe Cain didn't do well. Maybe Cain wasn't, um, you know, when you've done well and you know you've done well, you have a certain sense of satisfaction inside. And so maybe Cain's offering didn't bring him satisfaction. When you think about giving, have you ever, this has happened to me before, and another confession, sometimes when we give, we give because it's something we don't want. It's something we can't use. And if you're giving something, you know, like I bought a set of sheets, and they were itchy, scratchy to me. They were brand new, but I wasn't pleased with the quality of the sheets, and so I, I gave them as, a, as an, a donation. I didn't really have a sense of satisfaction. With, that sense, with the way that I gave. You know, and God corrects Israel much later in the Old Testament. And, and, and he says, why are you giving me the blind and the broken? Why are your offerings like that? You know, if you have 
if you're giving of the firstlings of your flock or whatever, but you're only giving to God what you don't want, what you can't use, do you have a sense of satisfaction in that giving? We'll come back to, <laughs> that's between you and God, that's between me and God. I, I, you know, I want to get to a place where my giving, God's pleased with my giving, and being a cheerful giver, you can be a cheerful giver if you're satisfied in your heart that you gave something that's going to bless somebody, that's going to help somebody, that's going to express love for them. You know what I mean? Okay, this isn't about giving, but <laughs> his countenance fell. His face showed what was happening inside. And God's telling him, if you do well, your countenance will be lifted up. Used to tell my students, you know, if you do your homework, you're going to be proud of yourself. If you don't do your homework, you're going to be like, I can't look Miss Trude in the eye. You know, those kinds of things. If you do well, there's that sense of satisfaction on the inside. And, but here's a really important point. If you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. Sin is crouching at the door. Can you get the image of something stalking, something waiting? Now, it hadn't pounced on him yet, but God's warning him. And he's saying, if you, if you continue in this type of thing, and you're not doing well, sin is waiting to overtake you. Purposely not doing well, whatever well is, it's something that, you know, it, he's letting Cain know you're at a point of choice. You're at a place of choosing. And be careful. So sin's crouching at the door, and it says its desire is for you, but you must master it. And that, that you must master it it, it, it means, Cain, you need to take dominion over this. Cain, you have, you have it within yourself to rule over that. You have the choice. We have the choice. Cain had the choice before him what he would choose. And we know Cain didn't choose well. And we see the horrible thing that happened as a result of him not ruling over his own heart. Over his own heart. And that's, that's what I was talking to. The conviction that I felt from the Lord was I had anger and I had bitterness in my heart over all the myriad of things that have happened in our culture. And, and you kind of want to lay the blame at the person who represents the head, perhaps, of these things. And, and so I need to rule over my heart. And, and I needed to throw out the junk out of my heart that shouldn't be there. And Cain had that opportunity. God was warning him. God was preparing him and letting him know he did not have a right to be angry. And God's letting him know that he's the one that needed to make the choice to get things right inside of him to get things right. Let's take a look at Jonah, the book of Jonah, another uh, person who struggled with anger. 
Jonah chapter 4. And uh, Jonah's a hard book to find. It's between Obadiah and Micah. Does that help? <laughs> My page is 1,216. If that helps, we're going to look at chapter 4. I'm going to read the entire chapter, but it's only uh, 11 verses, 12 verses or so. So chapter 4 of Jonah. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. That same kind of flare-up that happened, that instant anger, happened with Jonah that happened with Cain. It's the exact same word also for angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand, excuse me, their right and left hand, as well as many animals. You guys know the story in the previous chapters. Jonah was a great prophet, called of God to go to Nineveh, to proclaim a warning against the city because God wanted them to hear the truth so that they could have the opportunity to repent. When God warns, he's given a choice and he needed those people to hear and to know the choice. Just like God was saying to Cain, you had, to Cain had a, that he had a choice. But, we know that Jonah ran away and all that happened with the storm and the ship and being thrown into the water, saying to him, this storm has happened because of me. They throw him overboard at Jonah's request. He gets swallowed by a great fish. The fish brings him back to land. And when Jonah repents, the fish spits him out onto the land and finally Jonah realizes he really has to obey. He needs to, 
to do what God told him to do in the first place. And when he does, the people hear and the people repent. And it was from the king on down. It was a massive, beautiful, the kind of repentance we long for in our country. Everybody repented. But, but why was... Why did Jonah not want them to repent? That the, the land of Nineveh, the Assyrian, I think they were, the people that they were, had been, had been, cruel is not a good enough, cruel is not a strong enough word to describe how that people had been towards Israel. And so Jonah had no compassion in his heart for the sinful people of this land and because of what they had done to his people. Jonah, in his heart, he didn't have forgiveness and compassion like the Lord did. He didn't have the same heart that God did. Although Jonah knew what God's heart was like, he he confesses it. I know that you're a gracious and a compassionate God, that you're slow to anger, that you're abundant in loving kindness. I know you're one that relents from, from doing calamity, that, that God would turn back judgments if the people would repent. He knew the heart of God, but he didn't have the same heart as God. And so he's trying, struggling with his own emotions, and God twice asks him, do you have any right to be angry? This kind of, if we, if we think about what the Lord thinks about forgiveness, even in the Lord's Prayer. We ask to be forgiven according to how we forgive, right? The same measure of forgiveness that you extend is what you're going to get. And so if we don't have the compassion in the heart of God, how can we expect that towards us? And now, on this side of the cross, we have that grace we sang about. That grace that's been so freely given to us. I need to freely give it to Joe Biden or whosoever. Because God loves him too. God wants him to be saved. God wants him. Now how? How is that going to happen if we don't pray? If we don't pray with God's heart? or whoever you're angry at, whatever you're angry at, there is righteous anger. There is. It's right to be angry, to to hate the things that God hates. But God doesn't hate people. God loves people. God loves everything that he had made, everyone that he's made. He loves them. And we know to the extent with which he loves him for what Jesus did. The death on the cross, the suffering that he endured. Let's take a look at, at a couple of instances where Jesus was angry. Let's look at Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. He entered again into a synagogue and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. 
And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, this is Jesus feeling anger. After looking around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. If you read through the lines on this, doesn't it look like whoever they is, and I'm assuming it's religious leaders, Pharisees, scribes, whoever were leaders in the synagogue, it appears, if you read between the lines, that they set Jesus up for this. They probably found the man with the withered hand and invited him to the synagogue that day because they wanted to try and force this encounter to test Jesus. And it says that they might accuse him. They were going to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him. Their motives, totally wrong. Jesus asked a question to them to give them a hope, to give them a chance to think about what they're feeling in their hearts, what's going on inside, what's going on inside of them. And he asked them, he asked them, these leaders, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And you can tell the reaction later. Even though Jesus is angry, He's grieved at the callousness with which they had because they're trying to stick to a rule or a law and not look with compassion on this man that has a need. And there is no law against being compassionate to a man. There is no law against healing somebody. And so Jesus heals him. He disregards these people who were religious leaders. He disregards them and he heals the man right there in front of everybody. You know, some of us might have thought, well, let me just take him outside and we'll heal him outside. Or let me just, you know, talk to him and say, you know, meet me by the creek, you know, or, or let's, let's talk about this on Monday. But Jesus disregarded all that knowing that it was probably going to bring persecution of some sort. But his, his, even though Jesus was angry with what was going on with them, he healed the man. He healed the man and chose not to worry about them, and he, and he let them go on their way. Those leaders, those Pharisees went out immediately conspiring as to how they might destroy him. Jesus knew what they were about and what they were going to do. He knew what was coming, but he healed the man anyway. Take a look at Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verse 12. Another occasion where Jesus was angry. Matthew 21, verse 12 says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And verse 14, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. You know, if you saw a person come in here and 
flip over the musical instruments, knock down the pulpit, whatever is going on in here. You might not be wanting to trust that person. But it says the blind and the lame, they came to him. You know, my Bible has a paragraph marker between there, but in the original writings, there was no punctuation or paragraph markers. So it could be that the blind and the lame were healed in that same instance where Jesus was visiting the temple. You know, Jesus, we know. We know from this side, looking at where Jesus is, looking at the scriptures, we know and we understand what he turned over and why he did it, why he was throwing them out. Because Jesus says, and he declares the truth. He declares it. This is my father's house. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a robber's den where people are buying and selling and changing money and selling sacrifices and all of that stuff. And this house is not about that. Zeal for the Lord's house. Zeal for the heart of God. It caused Jesus to be angry at this, clear it out, and speak the truth. My father's house needs to be cleaned. Needs to be cleaned of people who are here just to do business. Needs to be cleaned of people who are here to do business, taking advantage of people who have who are having to buy doves because they're poor to pay for their sin. So Jesus speaks the truth and he does this action because of his love for the truth and he heals the people right after. They're not afraid of him. They come and they still bring their sick to him and he heals them. I want to look at, at one more instance of anger. This is not anger of uh, Jesus, but anger from the disciples. Let's try Luke 9. Yeah, it's, it's Luke chapter 9, verse 51. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him, because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. So the fact that this people group, wherever he was, did not receive him, caused the disciples to be angry. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Verse 54. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire down from heaven and consume them? 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. So they're passing through this place. The people, that they, they don't receive them. They can't stay. They're not welcoming to them. And James and John want to call fire down from heaven. Now, we might laugh at that, but these people... Jesus had already sent them out and 70 others. They had healed people. They had cast out demons. And so they're assuming that they're going to have the same power that Elijah had. Because if you remember in the Old Testament, Elijah called fire down several times on a little troop of 50 soldiers that had come when he was praying. 
And so they're thinking, we should be able to do that too. We can just have all these people burn up that are opposing us, that are not receiving us. And Jesus asks that, or makes that powerful statement, you do not know what kind of spirit you're of. And I just want to say, we need to hold on to that question. When we have anger in our hearts, we need to ask ourselves, what spirit are you of? What spirit is that coming from? That anger that you feel, that response that you're having, that flare-up that you're having, what spirit is that from? We need to look and study and learn, what does God get angry at? What did Jesus get angry at? Was Jesus angry at these people who did not receive him? Did Jesus call fire down on the Pharisees and those leaders that were, that were wanting to accuse him? He, he disregarded them. And here, it says, they just went on to another village. That was Jesus' response to them who wouldn't receive him. Just move on. Just move on if these people won't receive you. Do what the Lord's called you to do. Focus on what his role is. Get his heart. And, and you'll see throughout the New Testament, when they spoke the truth, when they did the deeds that the Lord did, they were able to release the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God spread despite persecution. Difficult things do happen. There's difficult things happening all around us. But we're called to just keep going and do what the Lord's called us to do and not, <laughs> I should not be bitter at those who don't know God for what, how they're acting. I cannot hold on to anger or bitterness because sinners are sinning. I cannot set my focus on that. Facebook will stir up a wrong spirit in you if you're not careful. Many, many, many of the things that are happening will try to breathe a wrong spirit in you. Are there instances of injustice? Are there wrong things happening? Plenty. But what are we called to? What are we called to do? Let's focus on that. What spirit are you of? Can we stop being angry about stuff? You know, anger's going to come. We're emotional people, and we were created to have emotions. Jesus got angry. God got angry. Anger is a part of our condition. We were created in his image. Anger is something that's going to happen, as well as expressions of love and joy and patience and impatience and all those things are going to happen because of who we are how we're made what we're like but anger plus fleshliness equals bad outcomes anger plus the holy spirit will produce intercession prayer good deeds self-sacrifice I think that's powerful. I'm going to repeat that. Anger plus fleshliness produces a bad outcome. 
Anger becomes sinful when we act out of a wrong spirit, when we act out of the wrong heart. Pride, brokenness, resentment, unforgiveness, grudges, bitterness. That's the wrong heart. We, we cannot afford to keep that stuff in our heart because it poisons us. We can't keep it. Don't coddle that stuff inside of you. Be honest with God and dump it out. And you can dump it out in his presence. And he'll be glad you did. And you say, you might say like me, Father, I didn't know that was there. I confess it. I reject it in the name of Jesus. Cleanse me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Restore a right spirit within me. Anger plus the Holy Spirit produces good outcomes. God hates evil. God hates the deeds that evil causes, that evil produces. God hates the hurt that it causes people. But he loves people. He loves every person he has made. Jesus died for every person who has ever lived, whoever will live. That atonement is for each one, if they'll receive it. If they don't receive it, he moves on to whoever will receive it, and that's what we should do. We should keep praying. Anger plus the Holy Spirit. Anger plus the Holy Spirit, the right spirit. Healings can come from that. Healings, good deeds, solutions, prayer, intercession, fasting, standing for truth, warning people to flee from God's wrath and seeking the kingdom, those things can come out of anger plus the Holy Spirit. So if I find I'm angry about the things that are happening in the world, what does that mean I should do? I should pray. I should fast. I should speak the truth in love wherever I can. I should stand for truth wherever I can. Take a look at Isaiah 58, verse 6. I'm going to read verse 6 to verse 12. It says, Is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth. And your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be a rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. And you will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. If you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. 
those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins, will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. This portion of scripture is full of ideas for what we can do about the things going on around us. I want to, to close with First uh, Timothy 2. Verses 1 through 6. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. You've probably all heard this scripture before, and it's one that we're using a lot nowadays, and it's very, very needed. First of all, Paul writes to Timothy, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all. How much? Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. The point is, Paul is urging prayers be made first for who? Everybody in authority. Everybody in authority. And, and it, if I'm correct, historically, when he's writing this, who are the Roman Caesars and emperors who were there at the time? I, I believe at some point in Paul's life, Nero was Caesar. Nero was in charge over Rome, over all the Roman conquered places, over Israel. Nero, the same guy who was taking Christians and burning them in his garden for light. anybody had a reason to be angry or to be bitter towards a leader that was a good example but Paul says no pray for them what does Jesus say in his message in the Sermon on the Mount you have heard it said love your we love our neighbors ourselves but but we should hate our enemies Jesus didn't say that. He said, you've heard it said, love this one, hate this one, but I say to you, but I say to you, let me elevate everything. Love your enemies. Pray for them. You know, one of the profound experiences that I had when I was in Mexico for six months, the, the last month I was there, I was way, 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 way up in the mountains in a remote place, and and there was a Pastor Bulmaro was his name. He's with Jesus now. He was an elderly man at the time when I was there. Pastor Bulmaro, he was a pastor of pastors. He was a leader over many of the mountain churches that were in that area. A very, very humble man. Sweet, sweet man. He would, uh, every morning, most every morning he would ride his little horse. I say little horse because his name was Shrimp. The horse's name was Shrimp. He would ride Shrimp 
from his mountain to my mountain where I was just to bring me in a Pepsi bottle full of fresh milk that he had just milked from his cows in the morning because he had heard that that's what I liked. But this man, from time to time, would call us to prayer. And he led us this one particular day off of the mountain I was on to his mountain, and there was a, a pasture on, the, on a cliff, beautiful place where you could stand on the edge of the cliff, cliff and look out over the mountains, and you could see the different villages in the area. And in, in that region of Mexico, there was persecution I mean, one of the young men that I had met, his father was shot by Catholics who didn't like the evangelical churches, and there was persecution going on. And, and so Pastor Bulmaro, he was a pastor of pastors in a time and in a place that wasn't necessarily easy. And he led us to this pasture to pray. And, and me and this probably about eight of us, he had us all kneel down in the cow pasture and, and just he just told us all to pray, pray. And when you pray in Mexico, you don't pray silently. You pray out loud and everybody prays out loud and everybody prays together and we don't worry about whether God's here and this person or this person are here because we just know God can hear everybody on the face of the earth praying all at the same time. But I was still learning Spanish at the time and I was listening I was listening to Pastor Bulmaro pray. And much of the time that we're praying out there in the field, he was praying for his enemies. And he cried out, Oh God, I pray for my enemies. And he had some because of the persecution in the area. And it really, I think that was the first time I ever witnessed. I was 39 years old at the time, 40 years old. That was the first time I'd heard somebody pray out loud for their enemies, specifically. He was obeying Jesus. Now, when Pastor Carl said that last week, about, I don't like him, but I'll stand if he comes in the room. And I was, and I made that statement of, I would stand with my body, but my heart wouldn't stand. That's the sign of a rebellious heart. That's what I've had to repent of, for a a rebellion inside of me. You can dislike somebody, but we have to pray. We have to, and we have to pray from a heart of love. And if you don't have a heart of love for somebody, you know where you can go to get one. Jesus will give you his heart for whosoever. I had a, another situation. And, um, some, some of you know I had a, a group of young women live at my house. I was a house mom for six young women that were in a ministry program called Master's Commission. And I got very close to those young women. And a few years after... Uh, I had been a host mom to some of these women. One one of them was uh, dating a young man that I didn't approve of, and I and I and I had good reasons for not approving of him. But she got engaged to him, and she married him anyway. And I really struggled with that. 
my two good reasons for why she shouldn't have married him, I, I, kept, I kept after the Lord about it. And after she married him, I, I was heartbroken and worried. And so the Lord impressed upon me that I should, I should pray for this young man who is now the, the husband of a spiritual daughter of mine. And what I knew in my heart I was supposed to do, I was supposed to pray every day for six weeks, spend 15 minutes a day, every day for six weeks praying for this young man. And I was like, yes, Lord, I'm going to do that. So I, I, set, I, I actually, in my journal, I, I wrote out all the days, made a calendar, and every day I'd pray for my 15 minutes and check it off the list and check it off the list, check it off the list. I'm sure you know already by now probably that within about two weeks into it, I realized that God didn't have me praying for him so much for him as he wanted to change my heart about this young man. Because yes, this young man had a stronghold, but this young man was kicking that stronghold out of his life. This young man was dedicating his life to serving Jesus and I couldn't see it. But my six weeks of praying for him changed my heart for him. And by the last three weeks of praying for him, I was praying with a heart of love, with tears that were genuine. That young couple have been married for quite some time now, have two beautiful children. They're both involved in ministry. I love their life. I love their marriage. I love their witness. I don't know if you're hearing this and thinking, I got problems in this area too. Jesus, help me. I don't know if maybe you're thinking, I need a heart change. I need a, like I need an oil change in the car. I need a heart change right here and now. Or maybe you're one of those people that boils up instantly in anger and you don't know how to rule and master over it. But Jesus does. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for your great, great love for us. And Father, I thank you that you gave us a high priest who knows what it's like to be in this body, who knows what it's like to live in this world where people may offend us, they may even harm us. Lord Jesus, of all the people who deserved to be offended because of how they were treated, it was you. You who didn't deserve any of what you got as far as the evil that was poured out on you, the wrath that was poured out on you, you didn't deserve it. But you stood in that place and you said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Father, some of us are sitting here tonight and we're in that place of choosing. Jesus, you're the one person in all of the universe who can say to us, do you have any right to be angry? You who endured the cross, you who endured the shame, Holy Spirit, please minister to these your people right where they are. 
bring healing, bring conviction, bring remembrance, bring the warning, whatever it is these people need. Give, 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 Lord. Let the power of your deliverance move in this place. If you're a person in this house who has an anger problem, just slip your hand up right now and show the Lord, I need help in this area. If you're a person who feels bitterness because of the, the leaders and the decisions of, of leaders over us and you've struggled with the things that are going on around us and it's caused you, your spirit, your heart not to be right, just lift your hand and show the Lord. Jesus, help us. Father, we thank you. In the name of Jesus and because of the blood of Christ, I declare each of you forgiven people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we release the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the help each of you need. I thank you, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we ask you for wisdom and strategy, unction from you as to what we should do about these things. And Father, I pray for all of us. God, please grant us the spirit of grace and the spirit of intercession. By the power of your Holy Spirit, show us how to pray about all of these things that are so hard about our culture right now, the times that we're living in. And show us, Lord God, how to pursue and seek the kingdom and just keep pursuing, despite the difficulties, despite people who want to persecute us, despite people who want to deride us. Give us, give us that eye of the tiger, Lord. Give us that, that vision where we just look to you and pursue you and do what you tell us to do. Release grace and forgiveness all around. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your presence in this moment. I thank you for your move and your heart and your people, God. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Gaining Strength podcast today. It is my prayer that you have been encouraged and edified by this message. And may the Holy Spirit continue to strengthen you as he builds us up into the body of Christ. If you would like to share a prayer request or a concern, I can be reached at the following email address, gainingstrengthpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Cheryl Truitt, your host for the Gaining Strength Podcast. And may you be strengthened as you walk in love, truth, and faith. Mm-hmm.